Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. From Live in the Balance the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Hey there, welcome to today's program. Um, Anytown High School is next week. The educators panel is the week after that. I promised some folks at a talk that I did recently that I would do a program on how to use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and how to drill for information in the empathy step of Plan B. And so, while you are welcome to call in to today's program, and that number is 646-727-2691, These programs are not only useful for people to be able to call in and ask questions and get the help they need and the support they need. A lot of people use these programs as a refresher, and a lot of people use these programs as a resource and a free one at that for various aspects of collaborative problem solving uh, that they need help with. And so... True to my word, if we don't get any callers today, we will exclusively talk about how to use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And then, time permitting, we'll talk about drilling for information in the empathy step of Plan B. And these are two of the things that people look to the Lives in a Balance website, especially for guidance on. Um, So here we go. Are you ready? Once again, feel free to call in. We'll interrupt, 646-727-2691, but in the meantime, let's talk first about using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Um, If you're not familiar with it, you can find a copy of it in the paperwork section of the Lives in a Balance website. And what you'll see when you take a look at it is that, um, well, there's a list of lagging skills down the left-hand side of the ALSIP, and then there's a place to write in unsolved problems in the middle, sort of filling in the blanks. But the first thing we should say about the ALSIP 
is that while it may look like a checklist and while it may look like a rating scale, it is neither a checklist nor a rating scale. It's a discussion guide. Some of you have heard me say this lately. The, I think we adults, in our efforts to understand behaviorally challenging students, check too much. I think we rate too much. I think we tabulate what we've rated in the quest for a percentile. And percentiles do not go a very long way toward helping us understand why a challenging child student is challenging or when. And so, as I've been saying lately, while quantification seems to be a major buzzword in schools these days, I think quantification comes in third. Third, what comes in first? Understanding. What comes in second? Helping. And yet a lot of people these days are putting massive amounts of their energy into quantifying. But the reality is, if you're not understanding what's going on with this kid, and if you're not helping, then all you're busy quantifying is the fact that he's still not doing very well. Quantifying comes in third. Understanding and helping are neck and neck, first and second. The ALSIP is a discussion guide. If you want to help people in a school achieve a consensus on what's getting in a kid's way and what's really setting the stage for his challenging episodes, you want to figure out what his lagging skills and unsolved problems are. And that's what the ALSIP is for. And by the way, if you want to move from intervention that is primarily proactive not heat of the moment, not immediately after the heat of the moment, well, the ALSIP's going to help you there, too. The ALSIP helps us make the entire helping and understanding enterprise proactive. As I always say, my goodness, that is an impressive single-sided, single sheet of paper. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to use the ALSIP to figure out what skills a kid is lacking. By the way, if you want your meetings to be times when you're really talking about useful information, if you want the discussion to be truly informative, uh, what you want to be talking about is lagging skills and unsolved problems, not diagnoses, not what's going on at home. I know. Some of the families that you're thinking of are not necessarily meeting your definition of ideal. I also know that many well-behaved kids come out of families who we wouldn't consider to be ideal and that many challenging kids come out of families that you might consider to meet your definition of ideal. So let's start focusing on what really helps us understand let's start focusing on the raw material of helping lagging skills unsolved problems and the ALSIP is your discussion guide well, one more thing if you want to help people who 
don't yet recognize that this kid is lacking skills and has unsolved problems. If you want to help them get on board, the best way to do that is to engage them in the process of identifying a kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems. If you just hand them the information, if you just hand them a 15-page report and tell them to read it so that they understand a kid, you just hand them his IEP. Uh, I don't think you've moved the process forward. I don't think you've convinced anybody. The persuasion is in engaging people in a discussion about a kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems. And by the way, it is very hard to come out of that discussion, given that behaviorally challenging kids almost always have quite a few lagging skills and quite a few unsolved problems. It is very difficult to come out of that discussion without believing that this kid has lagging skills and unsolved problems. Down the left-hand side of the LSIP is lagging skills. In the middle, a place where we're going to be writing in unsolved problems. I personally recommend that you start at the top. And by the way, one more point. Everybody in the meeting has a blank copy in, of the LSIP in front of them. A blank copy of the LSIP. Um, if we have people fill out the LSIP ahead of time, that's not going to be conducive to the discussion we are trying to have about this kid. It's conducive to people counting checks. One last point. My goodness, there sure are a lot of points to be made about using the ALSIP. One last point. Um, if you want to have a very productive hour and probably, not always, but probably get through all those lagging skills and unsolved problems in an hour, you're going to have to cut way back on the storytelling, hypothesizing, and theorizing that goes on in a lot of meetings. Some of the educators who I work with who are learning how to use the ALSIP and getting very good at it wanted to know why they only made it to like the first or second lagging skill in an entire meeting. And then when I listened to their meetings, I discovered that's because they were doing a lot of theorizing, a lot of hypothesizing, and a lot of storytelling. Can't let our meetings be dominated by our theories and our hypotheses and by us telling stories about what the kid looks like when he's looking bad. A productive meeting focuses on lagging skills and unsolved problems. And here's how you do it. You... um. Start at the top. I always recommend you start at the top because you're going to try to make it through each lagging skill. And you're going to ask if the first lagging skill applies to this student. And this is a group discussion, so the group will hash that around a little bit. And if the answer is no, well, you're moving on to the next lagging skill until you hit upon one that does light up the board. But when the answer is yes, when the answer is yes, you're not moving down. You're moving over. That's what those arrows pointing you toward the other side of the page, toward the unsolved problem section, are, are saying to you. They're saying, come over here to the unsolved problem section by asking people to give you examples of times when that lagging skill that they've just agreed is coming into play for this kid. When is that lagging skill getting in the way for this kid? The minute you're asking about examples of times when the lagging skill is getting in the way for this student, 
What are you now hearing about? Unsolved problems. Unsolved problems, of course, are these specific conditions in which the demands being placed upon a student outstrip that student's capacity to respond adaptively to those demands. Unsolved problems are these specific conditions in which the clash of the two forces has occurred. Two forces, lagging skills, that's force number one. Demand for those skills, force number two. Now, you may be more familiar with some synonyms for unsolved problems. Um, antecedents is a synonym. Triggers is a synonym. Now, I used to use triggers fairly frequently. I don't use triggers at all anymore because I discovered that when you use the word triggers, you cause people to look at what happened just before the challenging episode was set in motion. But what set the challenging episode in motion may not be what happened right before it. So I prefer I prefer unsolved problems. I'm not exactly sure what to do in an antecedent. I don't use triggers anymore for that reason. I use unsolved problems because it makes it crystal clear what the role of the potential helper, you, me, might be. And by the way, I'm not picky about who could be a potential helper. Not picky at all. Any adult who's interested in helping is a potential helper. Any classmate who's a potential helper, fair game. Let's stick to adults for now. Um, We're going to try to figure out what these specific conditions are in which the demands being placed upon a student outstrip the particular skill that we've decided the student is lacking by asking for examples of times when that lagging skill got in the way. And those of you who are familiar with the Anytown High School programs know that in Anytown number two and Anytown number three, you can find these programs all archived on the Lives in the Balance website. In any town number two and any town number three, I helped the great folks at any town high school learn how to use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems through discussing a particular student in their building who has the pseudonym T. So if you want to hear it, just go to the any town programs, listen to any town number two and then any town number three, and you'll hear the program. But I'm going to give you a brief, brief synopsis of what you'll be hearing. I think we made it to lagging skill number three, difficulty persisting on challenging or tedious tasks. And um, I said, does T have any difficulty persisting on challenging or tedious tasks? And they all agreed that T did. Checked it off, but instead of moving down to the next lagging skill, I moved over. I asked, can you give me some examples? Examples of times when T is having difficulty persisting on challenging or tedious tasks. And they said, yes. I said, when? They said something like, she always gets upset and runs out of the room when she's reading something she doesn't understand. Now, this part's crucial. Which part of that sentence is the unsolved problem? Is it running out of the room, getting upset and running out of the room, or is it reading something she doesn't quite understand? It's reading something she doesn't quite understand. Running out of the room is what happens when T looks bad. 
But that's not the unsolved problem. The unsolved problem is what's causing T to look bad in the first place. Reading something she doesn't understand. Now, that unsolved problem is not very specific yet. We're going to try to make it more specific. So I would ask, what kinds of things is T having difficulty reading? Science. Always science. Now, I'm actually going to try to move it on to the next level of specificity. What what kinds of things in science? No, just all science in general. All right. Difficulty reading the assigned material in science is the unsolved problem. We're going to write into the unsolved problems section of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Not the behavior. We actually don't want to write a behavior in, in the unsolved problems section of the ALSIP unless we have absolutely no idea about the conditions in which the behavior is occurring. That's when we would write in a behavior. And it, there are many times when people will say, when you ask them when is that behavior occurring, they'll say they don't have, I don't, they'll, they'll say they don't know, but push them a little. Think of the last time that behavior happened, what was going on. You're about to hear about an unsolved problem. You want to write in what's setting the behavior in motion, not the behavior itself, as the unsolved problem. Now, are we done with that lagging skill yet? Time to move on to the next lagging skill? I don't think so. I would ask for more examples. Can you give me some other examples of times when T is having difficulty persisting on challenging or tedious tasks? Yes. She always gets up set when she's working on the computer. Once again, what's the unsolved problem? Getting upset or difficulty working on the computer? It's once again difficulty working on the computer. Getting upset is the behavior. Difficulty working on the computer, that's the unsolved problem. Setting in motion, getting upset. Um... Is that specific enough yet? No. We want to make our unsolved problems as specific as possible. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But let's see if we can add a little bit more detail. What 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 uh, kinds of things is T working on on the computer? Uh, she uses this special math software, and it frequently doesn't work. Difficulty getting the math software to work on the computer is the unsolved problem. We're going to write in in the unsolved problems section of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Your best wording on the unsolved problem is the expectation the student is having difficulty meeting, reading the assigned material in science, uh, using the software on the computer, with the word difficulty in front of it. That's your best wording. won't always be possible, but that's your best wording. Now, one more point about this before we move on to some other ways to identify unsolved problems. Um, people who are strength-based often say, well, this isn't strength-based. You're, all you're doing is talking about lagging skills and unsolved problems. I agree. Uh, I do... I know that 
collaborative problem solving is frequently thought of as a strength-based model, but I think that's mostly because it's not punitive. You really are primarily focused on lagging skills and unsolved problems because it's lagging skills and unsolved problems rather than the kids' strengths that are setting in motion challenging episodes. But if you want to include, when you're having this discussion with the ALSIP as the discussion guide, strengths feel absolutely free to do so. I will say this. I find that talking about a student's lagging skills is what moves the people in that meeting onto a more compassionate, accurate, productive view of the student's difficulties. I'll say that. If we are specific in the manner that I've just described and specific in the manner that I'm going to describe next, I'm looking for light bulbs to go on in this meeting. Light bulbs. I'm looking for what I've come to call wow moments to occur. Wow moments. They occur when people are sitting in the meeting talking about lagging skills and unsolved problems, and they say, wow, he really is lacking a lot of skills. That is a beautiful wow moment, especially when it is uttered from the lips of somebody who was saying something completely different when they walked in the door. Wow. Uh, no wonder what we've been doing hadn't been working. That's a beautiful wow moment, especially when it is uttered from the lips of someone who was thinking that what we've been doing for the last three years that hadn't been working for the last three years would eventually work if only we did more of it. Wow. I'm kind of feeling bad about how I've been treating him. That is a beautiful wow moment, especially when it is uttered from the lips of someone who hasn't been treating this kid very well and who's been justifying their harsh treatment with the rationalization that somehow being more harsh would get the message through. I don't think you're trying to get the message through. I think you're trying to understand this kid and help him solve the problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion his challenging episodes. Finally, wow. How are we going to set things up in this building so that we can start doing what this kid really needs us to do? To help him better than what we might be helping him now. That's a beautiful wow moment. That person has already started thinking logistics. Now, I've just told you about the way in which I typically go about identifying lagging skills. I help people go down the list of lagging skills and we decide which ones seem to apply to this student. I've also told you the way in which one way in which I go about identifying unsolved problems as a byproduct, as examples of lagging skills. But there are other ways to identify unsolved problems besides the one way that I've just described. For example, you could ask the kid. I always ask the kid. 
kids tend to be incredible sources of information on unsolved problems. Now, I can't say to the kid, what are your unsolved problems? He won't know what I'm talking about. But I can say, what are people bugging you about? See, here's what I know. If people are bugging him about something, then there must be an unsolved problem there. Otherwise, they wouldn't be bugging him about it. What are people giving you a hard time about? Here's what I know. If people are giving him a hard time about something, then that something must be an unsolved problem. Otherwise, people wouldn't be giving him a hard time about it. What are you getting in trouble for? Here's what I know. If he's getting in trouble for something, then whatever he's getting in trouble for must be an unsolved problem. Otherwise, he wouldn't be getting in trouble for it. I'm always sure to ask the kid. Always. Kids often have incredible information. Kids are often better at telling us what the unsolved problems are than the adults. Bring paper and pencil with you to your discussion with the kid because he's not involved in the meeting in which the adults are talking about lagging skills and unsolved problems. We don't want him in there, generally speaking. We want the adults to speak freely, and sometimes they won't speak so freely if the kid's in there. And we want the kid to speak freely, unencumbered by adult reactions. Early on here, when we're trying to gather information about lagging skills and unsolved problems, we are meeting with kids and adults separately. All right. Another way to identify unsolved problems is to have adults tell a story. Now, I'm not, you just heard me say a few minutes ago that our meetings shouldn't be filled with endless stories of a kid looking bad, but I'll take one or two. One or two stories about a student looking bad, because I know that embedded within any story of a student looking bad is the unsolved problem that set looking bad in motion in the first place. Of course, the hard part about this is that when you're listening to stories, adults start to t- start, tend to start at the end, the juicy part, the ugly part. You know, when he was looking bad, the unsolved problem tends to be at the beginning of the story. So I often have to ask adults to rewind the tape. They'll tell me about him looking bad, and then I'll ask them to rewind the tape to the part of the story where I'm hearing about the unsolved problem that set him looking bad in motion in the first place. Finally, I'll ask, sometimes I'll ask adults to keep a log for a week, a log of anything that the kid became agitated about. If he became agitated, I bet it was an unsolved problem setting it in motion. Anything that he balked at doing, if he's balking at doing it, it, whatever he's balking at doing must be an unsolved problem. Anything people disagreed about, there's a disagreement, I bet there's an unsolved problem at the beginning of that disagreement. People keep a log for a week, and that log frequently gives me very explicit information about unsolved problems. Now, here's the key. I've talked a little bit about making the unsolved problem as specific as possible. Now, let me talk a little bit more about that, because the more specific we are now, the more that's going to pay dividends for us when we are trying to solve problems when we get around to plan B. 
if we aren't specific about the unsolved problems, and by the way, I hear this all the time, if we aren't specific enough about what the unsolved problem is, then we get to the empathy step of plan B where we're trying to gather information from the student about the unsolved problem. If we start with a vague unsolved problem, we well, that that can cause the empathy step of plan B, the information gathering process, to grind to a halt right from the get-go. Being specific about unsolved problems on the front end when we're filling out the ALSIP, when we're having our discussion with the ALSIP as the discussion guide, pays dividends when it's time to do plan B after that. So making an unsolved problem specific usually means including information about who, what, where, and when. Who, what, where, and when, generally speaking, at least some of those will be part of your unsolved problem for the purpose of making it as specific as possible. Let me give you some examples. These are ones that I give in my talks these days. Let me give you some examples of some not specific ones and then we'll make them more specific as we um, add information related to who, what, where, and when. He's impulsive. Well, you're not, now, you'd never want to write that in the unsolved problems section. First of all, he's impulsive would be a lagging skill. Secondly, he's impulsive doesn't give us any information at all about these specific conditions in which him being impulsive is getting in the way. No, not specific enough at all. Let me add some detail. He's impulsive during social studies. All right, well, now I know where and when, but I'm still not clear on these specific conditions in which his poor impulse control is causing him difficulty. Let me add some more detail. He has difficulty raising his hand without calling out answers during social studies discussions. Wow. That's much more specific. And truth is, I could leave out the behavior uh, without... I could word it as just he's having difficulty raising his hand during social studies discussions, and I would have myself a very specific unsolved problem. And when I got to the empathy step, and I was proactively trying to discuss that with the student, I bet... Well, I've at least greatly increased the likelihood of him giving me information in the empathy step of plan B. Of course, when we're in the empathy step of plan B, we're saying to the student, I've noticed that, and then we are inserting the highly specific unsolved problem that we intended to be talking with him about right now and finishing up this initial part of the empathy step with an initial inquiry like, what's up? Which do you think is going to get us further? I've noticed that you're impulsive. What's up? Good luck. Notice that you have difficulty raising your hand during social studies discussions. What's up? Much better. Much better. Let me give you another not specific one. I've been using this in my talks lately, too. He has a lot of rage. has a lot of rage. I don't know anything yet about these specific conditions in which he's having difficulty... Let me add some detail. He has a lot of rage during recess. 
All right, now I know where and when he's having a lot of rage, but I don't know anything more than that. He always gets upset at his best friend Chad when Chad plays with Joey instead of him during recess. Ah, that is a highly specific unsolved problem. And um, let's see how we would word it on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Difficulty when Chad plays with Joey instead of him during recess. Uh, here's another one that people are tempted to write in in the unsolved problems section, but I strongly suggest that you not. People like to write in the word no. The word no. The word no isn't a highly specific unsolved problem. It's what you're saying no about. That is the highly specific unsolved problem. No. You cannot go to the bathroom 18 times during every math period. No is not the unsolved problem. Going to the bathroom 18 times during every math period is a behavior. Difficulty getting started on and completing the assignments in math is a much more specific unsolved problem. Now, is it specific enough yet? No. Let's see if we can move that on to the next level of specificity. Difficulty completing double-digit division problems in math. Now, that's some specific. And once again, that's going to pay dividends when we get to the empathy step of Plan B because we're going to get some information now if the kid is able to give it to us, because at least now he knows what we're asking about. Now, some people might at this point say, yeah, but he's having trouble completing a lot of different assignments in school. I know. And if you started with the empathy step with, I've noticed that you're having difficulty completing a lot of assignments, you're going to make it much more difficult for him to give you the information you're looking for, because here's the demand you've placed on him. You're now asking him to... Think of the different assignments he's having difficulty completing. Think of why he's having difficulty completing them. And you may have just taxed him beyond his capacity to respond because that's why he's saying, I don't know, or not talking at all. So I'd rather be specific early and see if what I'm learning about the difficulty in math relates to to other difficulties he's having in other subjects. In other words, I'd rather split early and clump later. Generally speaking, I prefer that to clumping early and splitting later. You clump early, you may get no information. You split early, you'll get information, and you'll see if that information relates to other unsolved problems that may seem similar. No, you cannot sharpen your pencil 12 times during every writer's workshop. Uh, no is not the unsolved problem. Sharpening the pencil 12 times during every writer's workshop is the behavior. Difficulty completing assignments in writer's workshop is a pretty specific unsolved problem. Can I make it more specific than that? Sure, I can try. 
difficulty completing paragraphs in writer's workshop when being asked for lots of details. That is a highly specific unsolved problem. When we are this specific about unsolved problems, more light bulbs go on, more wow moments occur. As in, wait a minute, you mean that he's only getting upset over these unsolved problems? That's right. He only gets upset when these unsolved problems pop up. Well, that's right, except they're actually not popping up. The fact that we're able to identify them ahead of time means that they're highly predictable. So they're not popping up. We know they're coming. And the reason he's getting upset about them is because he's having difficulty solving them on his own. That's right. And if we help him solve them, he won't be getting upset about them anymore. That's right. Wow. Wow, indeed. Now, we're definitely not going to get to drilling for information today. I'm going to do that on the next Not Any Town, Not Educators panel day that I have. Let me finish up with uh, the ALSIP here, though. After about an hour, maybe longer, maybe shorter, you're not in a hurry here, the information you're gathering here is going to be crucial to helping people get the right lenses on, know what they're working on, and make the whole enterprise proactive. You know, That's not a process you want to rush through, but you can usually finish this in an hour. Or no crime if it takes a second meeting. After the discussion is done, you've made your way through the entire ALSIP, you've covered each lagging skill, you've thought about the unsolved problems that are examples of times when that lagging skill is making it difficult for the student. You now have a long list of unsolved problems and a long list of lagging skills. And now people are starting to feel overwhelmed. They're thinking, wow, he really is lacking a lot of skills, and that's fantastic. I mean, mission accomplished. If people come out of this meeting saying he's really lacking a lot of skills, you have done a piece of work. And here's the good news. Don't feel overwhelmed about all those lagging skills. You're not going to be teaching most of them directly anyways. You're going to be teaching the most of them indirectly by solving the problems flowing from them collaboratively. That's right. While there's certainly nothing about collaborative problem solving that would suggest that you shouldn't do direct skills training, I'm not exactly sure how I would go about training most of the lagging skills in the lagging skills section of the ALSIP. I think most of those skills would be taught by solving these specific problems that are examples 
of times when those lagging skills got in the way. Let me, let me give you an example. Let's say that Tommy has difficulty making transitions. It's a lagging skill. And let's say we thought about the different circumstances in which Tommy was having difficulty making transitions. And let's say that one of them was having difficulty moving from choice time, where he's playing a game, to math, which maybe he even likes. Moving from choice time to math is a specific example of it's an unsolved problem, an example of Tommy having difficulty making transitions. Now, do I have a technology to offer you to help Tommy make transitions better in general? No. Do I have a technology for helping us help Tommy move from choice time to math to solve that problem? Yes, it's called Plan B. And if we solve that problem, that one example of difficulty making transition, have we made some headway on teaching Tommy how to make transitions better in general? Yes. Are we there yet? No, of course not. Have we made some headway? Absolutely. Will the headway that we've made on that transition help us in our next discussion about another transition that Tommy's having trouble making? Absolutely. Will he get better at this over time? Yes. Will he become a world-class transition maker? I don't know. I doubt it. Our goal is better, not world-class. Our goal is to solve problems so that they no longer set in motion challenging episodes and so that the skills the student is lacking are simultaneously taught indirectly and practiced. So that the fact that you have a lot of lagging skills checked off simply provides you with rather compelling evidence for the fact that this kid is really lacking a lot of skills. Fantastic. Now, now maybe you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed because you have a lot of problems to solve. Mm, luckily, you're not going to be able to solve them all at once. I mean, I wish, I wish you could, but those problems have piled up over time. Some of them date back many years. Behaviorally challenging students tend to have very big piles. Luckily, in many instances, two or three of those unsolved problems, we might call them high-profile unsolved problems, two or three of them may be accounting, not all the time, but some of the time, for 70 to 80% of the students' challenging episodes. So when you're prioritizing, you may want to consider those as your top priorities, but that's the next task. And that's where the Plan B flowchart comes in, also downloadable from the Lives in the Balance website in the paperwork section. The next part of our discussion in our meeting is to decide which unsolved problems we're working on and which ones we're not right now. The ones we're not, those we might call our small fish. The ones we are, those are the big fish. You try to get all the fish into the frying pan at once, you're not going to get any of them fried up. Big fish, plan B. That's not what the B stands for, by the way. The B doesn't stand for anything. Little fish, plan C. We're going to have to prioritize. And then we're going to use the plan B flowchart to 
decide to, to track which unsolved problems we're working on right now so they don't get lost, to designate who's going to be working on them with this student so that there's follow-up, and once again, so that the unsolved problem doesn't disappear and remain unsolved. And then the rest of the Plan B flowchart follows you through the steps of Plan B until the unsolved problem is successfully solved. Once a problem is successfully solved, it comes off the Plan B flowchart, and another one arrives from the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems to take its place. That's how you use the LSIP. That's how you use the Plan B flowchart. That's how you help people get the right lenses on. That's lagging skills. Know what they're working on. That's unsolved problems. Make the whole enterprise proactive and get problems solved. Hope this was helpful. We're out of time. Thanks for joining in today. Uh, hope this recording offers a very nice resource for those of you trying to learn more about using the ELSA. Back next week. Talk to you then. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.